It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Super excited to introduce you to Adam Griffin. We are just meeting for the first time. It's the first time we've had Adam on the show, but he is a lead pastor of Eastside Community Church in Dallas, Texas. He's the host of the Family Discipleship Podcast. He's the author of several books and resources for families. He's married to Chelsea Lane, and they've got three boys, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore. And you can connect with Adam at familydiscipleship.com. You might just want to jot that down, familydiscipleship.com. But Adam is joining us today to talk about his new book just came out last month. It's called When Wrong Seems Right, and it is a Bible study for teens. I have to tell you, Adam, my own story, I grew up in a Christian home, but I was 13 years old when I made a commitment to follow Jesus no matter what. I was like, if mom and dad bail, if all my siblings bail, like I am so in with you and I'm in for life. So I knocked on my sister's door. She's about four years older than me. Because she often had her Bible out on her bed, on her on her waterbed with her highlighters and her pens. Now I'm dating myself big time. But <laughs> I would pop in there and I'd be like, what are you doing? Um, and, you know, she'd say, oh, I'll be out in a minute so we can do something. And, I was, and after I made a commitment to follow Jesus, I walked in and I was like, I walked in and shut the door. And I was like, no, what are you doing really? Like, I need to know wow. what you're doing. I want to know. I want to know how to meet with the Lord in his yeah. word. And meeting with him there has just been key to my relationship with him all these years. So I'm curious, what was it for you that made you want to write a book that would help teenagers to step into God's word and to yeah. meet with him in that way? Well, thanks for sharing that story. That's really the, the crux of it. I think a lot of families lower the bar for what they can expect their kids to do when it comes to the Word of God. And the truth is, a lot of our kids, when they hit 8, 9, 10 years old, they can start to study the Bible for themselves. A lot of them are very capable. They, they're doing this kind of work in other areas. And unfortunately, there's kind of a void of uh, resources for kids in this age group. There's actually a lot of resources for little kids and families with little kids. You know, there's children's books and children's Bibles and, and storybooks. And for teenagers, there's young adult fiction and there's Bible studies and, there, you know, uh, for kids in high school. But what Moody wanted to do was say, hey, for eight to 12 year olds who are perfectly capable mm. of thinking, perfectly capable of reading and answering questions on their own and discerning and distinguishing. There's not much out there. And so they've come up with this great Bible study series. And I was so honored to contribute uh, the first Old Testament book. That's why we did the Proverbs. And I just wanted to write something accessible for those kids to help them see like just the same way these adult Christians can study the Bible. You can have access to the Bible and you can commune with God. Yeah. So Shauna, that's exactly the vision. That's powerful. So it sounds like this is more preteen. You're saying like eight to 12 is kind of the target? Yeah, certainly a teenager could use it. Certainly okay. a parent could use it. I mean, my family's using it right now for our family discipleship time, but it's targeted to be accessible for kids eight to 12 years old so that kids in that age range could start to study the Bible for themselves or have a parent come alongside them and teach them how to study the Bible. This book, Adam, you were sharing with us earlier, is kind of targeted towards your 8 to 12-year-olds. How do you pull them in and, and create a book that doesn't feel like something that they ought to or should do, but that they want to be a part of in Scripture? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that is uh, really beautiful about the Proverbs is a lot of what God is offering us in wisdom in the Proverbs is in bite-sized pieces. So you pull out a verse and you capture the entire idea. Mm -hmm. So the first thing for an eight to 12 year old studying the Proverbs is it's very accessible in its kind of length. You're not asking them to read a chapter of a book. You're not asking them to read an entire narrative. You're giving them an idea that's captured in one verse. And then what we do in this study is then I illustrate the idea of that verse with something personal, something accessible, something for a kid that age to kind of grab onto when hmm. it comes to the concept. So if we're talking about wisdom, you know, I'm talking about a time that either I was overwhelmed by something bigger than myself or a lesson that I needed to learn, or if we're talking about uh, maybe the the theme of the book, when wrong seems right, we talk about how, uh, you know, in the first chapter, we talk about how dogs will gobble up chocolate, even though it's poison for them. And that concept is easy to wrap your head around if you're an eight to 12 year old and go, how is that like this verse that says there's going to be things mm -hmm. that seem right? Like I, this seems delicious to me, but it's poisonous to me. And so we illustrate those in really accessible ways. Which is you know, making the biblical, the Bible immediately relevant to the life that they live today. That's right. so good. And then I know you're really intentional about cross-referencing too. Tell me why that is. Yeah, there's a, every lesson kind of has a little bit of a formula to it. The first question we ask is always to paint their family in a good light. I want eight to 12 year olds to think about their mom and dad in a good light. Even if maybe their mom and dad aren't following Jesus, we still ask questions that say, hey, if we're talking about the value of wisdom, then the first question is going to say, hey, what's something that you learned from your parents that you think was really valuable? Hmm. And then we almost immediately go into a cross-reference. And the idea behind that is if you're training kids to study the Bible, you want them to see that scripture helps interpret scripture. The entire scripture is united and consistent, and you want them to be able to find things in their Bible. And then one of the other uh, incredible things about using cross-references is if we're trying to train kids to be discerning and distinguishing, which is the idea of when wrong seems right, being mm -hmm. able to tell the difference between things. Cross-references help kids take two different things and compare them and then discern and distinguish. How are these things similar? How are they alike? What are their connection points? And so we're trying to work out that part of their intellect, that part of their brain that is looking at two different things and saying, are these the same? Are they different? As we're trying to train them through the Proverbs to think through what has God said is right, what has the culture said is right, and how do I know the difference? Yeah. And the more we dive into scripture, the more that we understand and approach the world from a biblical worldview and, right. and, and, and see the differences. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's not hard to convince a parent right now that the culture has different opinions than the scriptures do, that God has said things that are, God has declared things wrong that our culture celebrates. God mm -hmm. has called kids in a certain direction and their peers will call them in a different one. And so we don't just want them studying the Bible. We want them to see how it applies to their life and how it is actually the oasis in a desert of foolishness where there is so many ways that the that are going to, like the Proverbs say, it's going to seem right. It's a mm -hmm. very convincing deception in our culture, but there is a way to life and that is in following Jesus. Yeah. That apple looked really, really good. It didn't look wrong. Right. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. And she, even after taking a bite, Eve goes, this is great. I'm going to share this with my husband. Yeah. And that is part of our human heart delights in the things that are not of God. And so how can we be convinced that God knows better if sin actually brings us pleasure, hmm. if uh, uh, an ideology seems correct to us, but it disagrees with God. How do we train our kids to trust God over their own hearts?
What was some of the wisdom from Proverbs that you felt like, wow, this is very pertinent to, or, you know, this is something that rises to the surface is something that I want our eight to 12 year olds to know. Yeah. You know, there's a lot in the Proverbs. Obviously we, we go through 40 Proverbs, but there's a lot more than that in there. And so picking even like, what are the top 40 I want for hmm. the kids was kind of a difficult process because there are many of them, but one that my wife and I talk a lot about, and we've discussed this concept on the family discipleship podcast over and over again is what parents tend to ask us about is social media. They ask us about talking to particularly their sons, but certainly any kids about the images and the videos that are available on YouTube mm-hmm. or on just porn sites and uh, the stuff that are inundating our kids, let alone the stuff they can text or Snapchat back and forth to each other. And so one of the Proverbs that stuck out to me and that we studied in this book is a proverb that says, can a man hold a flame close to his chest and not be burned? Which doesn't maybe immediately sound like something accessible, but what we do with that is, is we help kids see that in all these things that culture is going to say are harmless or victimless or even good, which would be mm-hmm. You know, people will tell these kids, Al, you got to watch this show. And the show actually has pornographic material in it. And people are like, oh, but everybody's watching it. Mm -hmm. And our culture would call it kind of harmless or artsy or whatever. But what we believe is what God is saying is, can I really hold something close to me that would do damage to me and not come away damaged? Can there be something that's victimless, that exploits people? Uh, Can I indulge in lust or be enticed by something sensual and not walk and walk away unscathed? Mm The Proverbs would say you cannot, that God is warning you against these things, not because he's trying to, he's the enemy of your fun or the enemy of your life, but because he cares for you and he wants to protect you. And he says to you, you cannot indulge in these things. You cannot access these things. You cannot be exposed to these things and not walk away with some harm. And so part of the reason your parents are going to warn you against looking at certain things, watching certain things, listening to certain things, going to certain places is because they, like our God, love you enough to say, you could not do that and walk away unscathed. Mm-hmm. We love you too much. And so that's one of those Proverbs that I think is really, really important for yeah. this generation. We want our kids to make right choices. We want them to know right from wrong, but we also want them to know that as much as we want the trajectory to be like perfect, always doing the right thing, that's probably not super realistic. So (laughs) yeah, how did you bring in the concept of grace into helping them to make right choices? That's the right question to ask. Because I think even with the title, you might think when wrong seems right, that it's a maybe a moralistic or a behaviorism kind of book for Christian kids where we just want our kids to be obedient. Nobody in their right mind who's following Jesus rightly is trying to raise Pharisees who are mm. just doing the right thing, but don't have a heart for Jesus. And certainly we don't want kids to be convinced that the only way to follow God is to do so perfectly. No, we're going to be repentant, right? We're going to be people who make mistakes and people who need grace. And the Proverbs actually has one of the best, most succinct versions of the gospel grace available to sinners, where it says, he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. And so not only do we do a whole lesson on that proverb that we confess, we articulate where we've messed up and that we forsake, we quit what we've been doing that doesn't honor God, but we obtain mercy. It's also a concept, a string that kind of runs through a thread that runs through the entire book Hmm. that we are a people 
who are given wisdom and the right way to go. And when we wander, we will obtain grace and mercy if we articulate, we confess. And if we forsake, say, I, I don't want to do that anymore. So we talk about repentance. We talk about grace. And that is a theme of the Proverbs, certainly a theme of the cross-references as well. We're constantly going to the New Testament with our cross-references mm-hmm. and pointing out things that Christ has said, that the epistles say about how we are a redeemed by grace people. I don't know how we always pick things up. I grew up in a Christian home, but I definitely picked up this idea that sin was going to be something that was a part of my life before Jesus. And then Mm. when I made my commitment to Jesus, then my choices would all be right and all reflect what was right and good. And so I don't remember feeling like I could be very honest about the fact that I wasn't killing it in the Christian life moving forward. So I love the idea that it sounds like in the Bible study, this, by the way, is Bible study for kids about 8 to 12 years old to help them to learn to dive into Scripture on their own and nurture a relationship with the Lord, that as they do that, they're learning that there is still sin ahead of you. Right. Repentance is a lifestyle. Yeah, we do want them to acknowledge sin. We want them to recognize it. That's part of this book's idea is sometimes sin's hard to recognize because we're so convinced of the deception that sin Mm -hmm. is okay or that it's excusable or that it's not sin to begin with. want them to recognize it. Uh, But also we want kids to have a lot of confidence that says, I'm not trying to, I want to aim at perfection, but I'm not saying you can't be loved by God unless you're perfect. Mm -hmm. If that were the case, no one would be saved no one would be loved. God loves his people and he's the one who saves his people and he's the one who empowers his people. And he's the one who loves us enough to give us this wisdom to warn us against what would harm us. And how in this book, because what the world says is so different from what the Bible says and what God desires for us, how in this book do you disciple kids to not only know right from wrong, but to navigate relationships with people in the world who are choosing very wrong? Yeah, you know, Proverbs has a ton to say about relationships. There's a lot of parental warnings that say, don't go the same way these people go. Be careful about your friends. You know, it talks about mentoring. It talks about iron sharpening iron. We have a whole section in this book about relationships in general, not just romantic, but friendships and mentoring relationships. And my hope is that this Bible study helps kids start to see like why God gave them a church. God gave them other adults and other peers that are going to follow Jesus with them. And what a gift that is. There's a, there's a lot to be gained from not walking through the Christian life by yourself, but doing it in community. Yeah. And Proverbs is chock full of wisdom around what we look for in those people and, and what we want to avoid and then who we want to be. What is our personal identity and contribution to others and to following Jesus? Yeah, it's so good. I know you're walking through this, you and your wife are with your three boys. What's your heart's desire for them at the end of this book? What do you want your your children to walk away with? Well, you know, the same thing I want every night. We we are consistent in the word together. We read, we sing, we pray all the time with our boys. And what I want for them is for them to follow Jesus for themselves. Not because mm-hmm. dad wants them to, not because dad told them to, not even just because they think it's better, like as a better option for them, but I want them to fall in love with God. Mm-hmm. And I want God to grab their little hearts. Uh, Jesus says that no one comes to the father unless the father draws them. And so I'm praying all the time that the father would draw my children. And what I'm doing is doing what the apostle Paul described. I want to plant seeds of the gospel. I want to water them, Mm -hmm. but I'm praying to God because only God can give it growth. And so what I would love to see is at the end of, you know, studying the Proverbs together, planting all these seeds 
and watering them, having these conversations about seeing what it would be like that God would then bless those efforts by giving us faithful growth in our family. I don't know if you've got um, a rhythm or routine of watching the news regularly, or if you just kind of catch it on Yahoo, whatever you do to get your news. But it doesn't take long of kind of getting caught up on what's going on in the news to kind of start to feel like, Mm. wow, there's some really dark stuff going on in the world today. I mean, the wars that continue to go on and and take place in the world today, school shootings, anti-Semitism. Abortion. I mean, I could just keep going. You know, I had this problem quite a bit early on during the COVID. Uh, had really been on my phone. My my place of work at the time actually had gotten closed um, because of COVID. So we were just sitting at home for the most part uh, for three months. Mm-hmm. And so what are you going to do when you're sitting at home? You need something to do in the middle of a pandemic. You can't just go shopping at the mall right. or go watch a movie at the mall. So yeah, I'd sat at home scrolling on my phone on Facebook and and all of the news of COVID just had really gotten sucked into it. Hmm. And uh, I got nasty at that during that time. You can ask my wife. It was not a fun time in the house because she, at the time, was working in healthcare. She was in the emergency department for Mercy Health downtown and and is obviously seeing it firsthand and yeah. myself seeing it from the house. And, you know, at one point didn't believe it was real, that it was just a hoax. and hmm. It wasn't a fun time at home, to say the least. Yeah. And that was because of the news. I got sucked into it. So I just eventually unfollowed every single news agency on Facebook. I still have it like that. Mm-hmm. There's not one that I follow. I don't see any of that stuff. Not that I don't watch the news. I do watch the news upon occasion. need mm-hmm. to keep up to date with what's happening, but it's not in our regular rotation. Yeah. I think that, I think that when we take in all of the bad news, Mm-hmm. that we can start to kind of believe that maybe the enemy's winning, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe all our efforts to bring the kingdom to the world today, the way that it is in heaven right now, maybe we're failing. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's losing. I definitely felt the darkness when I was in India. Of course, we were in Mumbai in the red light district. And as we walked down the street, there was so much darkness. There was so much evil. You're seeing these... Women who were being sex trafficked, you know, men who were abusing the women, not that we saw the abuse take place, but just knowing mm-hmm. that that's a part of what's happening there. There were some kids that were roaming the streets just all by themselves. I mean, I very specifically remember this one little girl, just sweet little thing, probably about three years old, beautiful little girl, but out in barefoot in the dirt street mm. by herself. There was no, not an adult's anywhere in sight and you're just going what is going on lord like what is going on we we need we need rescue we need a flood we need something like god do something right do something and at the same time as we walked through the red light district we could see that god in us was bringing light into the darkness there is a spiritual battle going on and maybe it feels like it'd be easier to just stick our head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening, but it is. And we do need to be aware of it. And we're reminded in scripture of the battle. First Peter five, eight and nine says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him 
stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So, you know, Peter is telling us, you can't stick your hand, your head in the sand and pretend that these things aren't happening. You need to be alert and you need to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. But Jesus himself, as recorded in John, Jesus said, I've told you these things, giving them a heads up of what's going to go down. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And Jesus wants us to know not only that we're in a spiritual battle, he doesn't want us to be naive about the fact that there's a battle happening, but he also doesn't want us to be naive about how it ends. He wants us to know that he wins. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So if the things that you're being made aware of make it feel to you like the enemy is winning it's just because it's just because we haven't seen the end of the story yet i know the ending and the enemy does not win mm-hmm. not to be a spoiler here but he does not win <laughs> we had a guest on the show once who talked about just getting really caught up in sports and the impact that it was having on his life and feeling like it wasn't healthy and it wasn't what was best and so he he made a shift in the way that he engaged with sports. He decided that he would wait until the game was over. He'd record the game and then wait until it was over and find out who won. And if his team won, then he'd go back and watch the game. But it would cause him way less stress because if, you know, the other team was winning, they had a better score, they had, you know, they're near the, the touchdown line. And they were, it looked like it was, <laughs> that didn't sound very sportsy, did zone. it? <laughs> Would be the correct. Would be the correct near the end zone, and it didn't look good for his team. That he wouldn't freak out because he would know, yeah, hey, we, we win in yep. the end. We win in the end. In the same way, we get to know we win in the end. God wins in the end, and God. Here's the best part: when we're when we're looking at the life around us and things that are going on in the world, and we're feeling overwhelmed by it. Not only do we know that God ends in the end, but we also know that God can use every part of the battle for good, even the dark parts. I don't know if you've ever just kind of paused, taken a look at your life in this season and thought, huh, this is not how I thought this was going to (laughs) go. This is just not what I thought this season was going to look like. I would even go so far as to say in my own life, there are times when I felt like the difficult things that I was going through were actually an obstacle to God's will coming alive in my life. Like I would be doing, God, what you want me to do. I would be walking out what honors you. But, you know, this relationship is really challenging me or whatever the case may be. It's easy to shift blame for not being who God has called us to be on somebody who's making it hard on us. Uh So I've done it. I've done it a time or two. And if that's where you are today, how do you get from here, from where you are today, to fulfilling God's plan for your life? I think we got a beautiful picture of what it looks like to trust God when you feel like this is not how I thought this thing was going to go down in the life of Joseph. I love the life of Joseph. So if you're not familiar, as a young boy, he was given a dream. God kind of gave him a picture of what his future was going to be like. But very quickly, and by the way, that picture was good. It was really good. Like it was him ruling and reigning over his brothers 
and actually even ruling and reigning over his own mom and dad. So it was a big dream. But shortly after that, his brother sold him into slavery. (laughs) He had to be thinking, this is not how I thought this was going to go. Can you imagine, Shauna, you have a a handful of siblings, older sisters, and you tell them, man, I've seen this. This is great news. And you're like, nope. See ya. (laughs) Sold. Right. Get, get out of here. Leave it, us alone. Yeah. Not only would you feel rejected and like unloved by your own family, but it would feel like, God, what about the dream? Right. This this can't be the pathway to the dream. But it went on for Joseph. It got worse, actually. He went from being sold into slavery. He ended up being in Potiphar's house. He won favor with Potiphar and ended up ruling within Potiphar's household as far as the servants. He was like the highest servant in mm-hmm. Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. And he ends up getting thrown in prison for something that he did not do. Again, he's got to be thinking, well, this isn't the way this is supposed to go. This, no. this, this surely is an obstacle to the dream that God showed me and what God's going to do in my life. But once again, he finds favor within the prison system and he ends up being given actually authority to rule and reign within the prison system in, in such a way. He was kind of in charge of all the prisoners. And... But still, he's in prison, so he's got to be thinking, Lord, this is not how I thought this was going to go down when you gave me that dream. And of course, every single one of those, what we would consider to be an obstacle or or a wrong turn in Joseph's life, was actually God preparing him for what God did have for him, that he was going to rule and he was going to reign, but he needed to learn some skills along the way about managing people and managing resources. So those obstacles, if you will, were actually training ground for him. And instead of getting bitter, Joseph just stayed the course with the Lord. Whatever situation he was in, he kept his eyes on God and he he trusted God in the midst of it. So much so that in Genesis 45, 7 and 8, this is what he said to his brothers. He said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. So instead of saying, instead of pointing the finger and saying, it's your fault that I was a slave and it's your fault that I was in prison. Instead of doing that, he said, it it wasn't even you. It was God. God had a plan and God was working his plan. And this is actually a theme in scripture. It's not just specific to Joseph, or excuse me, yeah, to Joseph's life, but we also see it in the life of Moses. Just wrong turns or or obstacles or, or moments when you'd feel like, This can't be God's perfect will for me. I mean, we could go again and again and again and see that this is a theme throughout Scripture. God himself actually experienced, wait a minute. I mean, Jesus prayed the prayer, if there's a different way, if there's a different way, Lord, let there be. Let us go that way. Let's let's go with plan B. Mm-hmm. If you're okay with that, I'd love to go with plan B. But he was surrendered to the Father, and he was crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story. He conquered death. So if you're in it right now, I mean, if you're, if you're kind of in the worst of your story and you're feeling like, well, so-and-so did such-and-such, so I can't be who God created me to be, or I've got this obstacle, I've got this debt, I've got my marriage just fell apart. Like, this is not how I thought my story was going to go, and I don't see how God could possibly be honored and be glorified in, in what I'm sitting in right now. That just means your story is not done yet. Romans 8.28 reminds us, we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you, my friend, have been called. You are called according to God's purpose to reveal him to the world around us. So keep going. You and I are a part of a much bigger story, and it has a great ending, a phenomenal ending. So keep going, my friend. Keep your eyes on God and just keep going. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.